case after case filed against Trump's travel ban are winning. Citizen Radio's hilarious Jamie Kilstein joins me for the interview and why talking to your Trump-loving neighbors is your civic duty. Now joins us. Civil rights lawyer Lisa Bloom. Here to discuss how Lisa Bloom. Trial attorney Lisa Bloom is head of the Bloom firm. Can you believe we are only three weeks into the Trump administration and dozens of cases have been filed against a lot of the different executive orders that he's already issued. But the primary one is the travel ban and let's call it what it is. It's a Muslim ban. It's almost impossible to keep up with the many cases that have been filed by state attorneys general, the ACLU, and CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. But here's a quick rundown of the most significant ones. Aziz versus Trump. It was filed in Virginia on just January 30th, uh, and a U.S. federal judge in Virginia immediately issued a temporary restraining order, a TRO, that permitted the legal permanent residents, like the young Aziz brothers in that case, access to attorneys. So the Aziz brothers are 19 and 21 years old. They were stopped at Dulles Airport trying to enter the United States from Yemen. They had lawful green cards to which they are entitled because their father is a U.S. citizen. And yet they were blocked by the Trump travel ban, the Trump Muslim ban. Well, Judge Leone Brinkima issued the order saying no uh, staying the order and allowing them to come in. Unfortunately, at that point, the Aziz brothers were already on a plane back to Ethiopia, but an amended complaint that was filed outlines how the Aziz brothers and as many as 60 others were coerced into signing away their green cards under the bogus threat of being barred from the U.S. for five years. I think that that case is going to win and it's working its way through the court system. How about Darwish versus Trump? That was filed by the ACLU and Yale Law School's uh, legal service organization. Yay, my alma mater, Yale Law School. That was filed on January 28th. And that also challenges the Muslim ban. The plaintiffs in that case are very sympathetic people to be bringing this suit. Uh, one of them, Hamid Darwish, is an Iraqi husband and father of three. He worked for the U.S. military and his life was in danger in Iraq due to that that relationship, his choice to help us in Iraq. And the other plaintiff's wife and son were threatened because of their perceived ties to the U.S. Uh, Customs and Border uh, Patrol detained both men at JFK Airport as they tried to enter the country. Mohammed versus U.S. filed January 31st, 2017 in California. That case is currently pending. Uh, the plaintiffs in that case are 28 Yemeni-born people, including U.S. citizens living in the U.S. and their family members who were in Yemen, but they had immigrant visas to come to the U.S. And in that case, U.S. District Judge Andre Birot Jr. issued a sweeping temporary restraining order, that TRO, on January 31st, barring U.S. officials from blocking the entry of anyone with a valid immigrant visa from one of the seven Muslim-majority nations named in Trump's order. In other words, let them in. The ruling also barred the official defendants from canceling validly obtained and issued immigrant visas of plaintiffs, and it required the government to return everybody's passports with their valid visas, for heaven's sakes. 
I also love the case of Sarsour versus Trump. And if Sarsour sounds like a familiar name, well, you have been paying attention because Linda Sarsour, who is the lead plaintiff in the case, was one of the organizers of the fabulous Women's March on Washington that you've heard me talk about in prior podcasts. And this case, the CARE case, uh, says that the president's executive order is overtly discriminatory and officially broadcasts a message that the federal government disfavors the religion of Islam, and it certainly does. And they allege uh, religious discrimination. That case is working its way through the court. But the one that's gotten the most attention that surely you have heard about is the state of Washington versus Trump, filed on January 30th, 2017, by Attorneys General Bob Ferguson of the state of Washington, as well as other attorneys general, like from the state of Minnesota, and a bunch of tech companies have signed on. And in that case, uh, immediately Judge Hobart in the Western District of Washington issued a nationwide temporary restraining order against certain provisions of the executive order. In other words, uh, none of Trump's travel ban, his Muslim ban, uh, could go into effect nationwide because of that decision by Judge Hobart. So the Trump administration took up an immediate appeal to the next highest court, which is called the Ninth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals here on the West Coast. And of course, the Ninth Circuit uh, just ruled to uphold Judge Hobart's decision. In other words, striking down Trump's executive order, at least for now. You've heard the words TRO, temporary restraining order. And that's because to get a ruling this fast at the beginning of the case, that ruling is only going to be temporary until the rest of the case can be heard. But we can't wait a couple of years for the litigation to wind its way through to trial. We need an immediate ruling. And that's why the attorneys have gone in very quickly and gotten these temporary restraining orders. So uh, this case, the appellate court found, show that there was a likely due process violation, that's the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, because after all, people had visas and green cards, and yet they were denied entry without notice and a right to be heard. And those two things are the hallmarks of due process. We don't just yank people's rights away here in the U.S. We are not a totalitarian state. They have a right to be heard, and that was denied. And secondly, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, it is likely religious discrimination because Donald Trump said during the campaign that he wanted a Muslim ban. And the court said, we can look at that and make a determination that this is highly likely to be considered religious discrimination in violation of our First Amendment, which says that we don't discriminate between different religions in the U.S. Everybody is equal here. We don't favor one religion over the other. By the way, fun fact, most acts of terrorism in the U.S. are committed by white right-wingers, not Muslims, generally Christians, uh, like the guy who killed six Muslims in a mosque in Canada a week ago. He was a white right-winger who hated Muslims. And Donald Trump, who has been complaining about our media not covering terrorism, has not even bothered to tweet or mention that horrific attack on Muslims by a white terrorist in our neighbor to the north, because that doesn't count in his mind. Only Muslim terrorism counts in his mind, which is very sad. So the Ninth Circuit case will likely go up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I think it's going to be upheld because it's very sound legally. And if there's a 4-4 split, because we have four liberals and four conservatives right now, that means the Ninth Circuit case is going to be upheld. So I would be very surprised if any other outcome comes from this case. How great is it to see courts over and over and over again smacking down Donald Trump's 
blatantly bigoted executive order. You know, bluster and BS may work in a political campaign or on the, the Twitter, but in court, evidence and the Constitution are the bosses. And to all of those who are frustrated by his bad behavior and pathological lies, let's keep Donald Trump in court where that nonsense is not tolerated. Go judicial branch. I've never been so proud to be an attorney. Jamie Kilstein. Jamie co-hosts the political comedy podcast Citizen Radio. He's so cool that Robin Williams said about Jamie, Jamie Kilstein is amazing and I will be spreading the word. He has the spark that energized my conscience. We need more comedians kicking it hard the way he does. And Glenn Beck called him a doofus. So <laughs> I think you're, uh, you're doing pretty well, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me. Those are like the only two blurbs I ever need just to like <laughs> balance each other out. <laughs> it's like you make the right people happy and then you make fucking horrible people uh, call you a doofus and like uh, you're, yes, you're set. Uh, that's how you know you're doing it right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Like when I got banned from Fox News, I thought, yeah, okay, I guess I'm doing it right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. If Fox News <laughs> is like calling you every day, like even though you're getting work, you would just be like, oh, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, and I got banned from Fox News after uh, talking about the Bill O'Reilly sexual harassment case in 2004. I read the case. Right. I went on TV and I opined based on my long experience as a sexual harassment attorney that Andrea Macris had stated a good and valid cause of action if she could prove the facts as that she alleged them. Uh, she yep. had a good case. And after that, Fox News started blasting me and eventually blacklisted me. And that's fine. My life has been very yeah. good ever since. So enough <laughs> about me. Let's oh, talk yeah. about you and let's talk okay. about the resistance and let's talk about some of the fabulous things that are happening out there. So I just returned from uh, a fabulous uh, feminist progressive conference called Sister Giant. And there I did a speech about how the resistance is working. And I know there's a lot of gloom and doom out there about what's going on and we all just want to curl up and die. But yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the fact that the Women's March was the biggest single day of protest in U.S. history, that it was yep. uh, 3 million people in the U.S. It was 5 million people around the world. It was seven continents, bitches, including Antarctica. <laughs> and since then, three other major marches have been planned, the Science March, the Tax March, a big LGBT Pride March in Washington, and all of those three also all over the country. And each of those has said, we draw our inspiration from the Women's March. So- Oh, yeah. How great is that? It's incredible. Oh, and this morning, the official Twitter account from the Women's March said they're planning a general strike I where women aren't showing up to work. And I don't know when this is going to air, but maybe they'll have a date by then. But like that is incredible and exactly what needs to happen. And it's exactly where we kind of like drop the ball. Now, I, I, I should preface anything positive I say about what is happening in the era of Trump. Like I am a... Uh, white, straight, cis dude who lives in Los Angeles and, like, knows how to fight and gets to make art for a living. So, like, for me, if I want, I can be like, life is great. I can uh -huh. go outside and do w whatever I want. Um, so I don't want to be one of those guys. You know how they were kind of yes, like... Yes, I understand the, what you're saying. The, 
the like Bernie bros before the election who were like, we got to vote for Trump to like burn the system down. And it's like, well, cool, man. You're going to be fucking fine at your mom's house. It has bigger effects on other people. Yes. Like people who can't afford health care, for example, or people who are kept out of the country or people who are victims of racism. I agree with you. You know, I think Lori Steinem had the best line on that at the Women's March. She said, this is the upside of the downside. That's perfect. Yeah, because I do agree with you a thousand percent and kind of have only positive things to say right now, Where, which is, I think, what we need to be doing. Um, so I have never been so horrified and so hopeful at the same time, right? Huh. Where this Muslim ban comes down and it, it's so scary and people are in such shock. And within, like, what? Like, an hour? The airports were flooded. There were lawyers on the floor working for free. Um, We started to win uh, cases, you know, later on Uh in the night. Corporations felt our wrath. That's the most important is targeting these fuckers money because they don't care about the Constitution and they don't care about being a good person and they don't care about, you know, uh, empathy or kindness. But like you hit them in their wallets. Like you watched how fast Uber had to backpedal. They lost over 200,000 customers. But I want to say this about corporate America. Some like Lyft, for example, L-Y-F-T, uh, Uber's competitor, immediately announced a $1 million donation to the ACLU. And so, yep. yes, corporations care about their bottom line, but there are some who are out there in the forefront. And a lot of tech companies immediately came out against the Muslim ban and they the refugee ban. Listen, yeah. if you would have told me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that corporate America would be in the forefront of uh, progressive activism, I would never oh my God. have believed it. But it does totally. happen. Yeah, I'm so glad it was Lyft, too, because every time I, like, ordered Uber, like, when I did have Uber, I would always, like, mess up and, like, order it to the wrong place and then get charged. And so I downloaded Lyft just because I didn't know how to use Uber. So then when everyone was like, we're protesting Uber, I was like, great, I don't know how to use it. Yeah, that's not your your fault, by the way. That's the Uber app. It always puts people at the wrong place. Many of us have had that problem. And it also, it always tells you five minutes and then it's really 15 minutes and it tells you it's going to be $15 and then it's really $20. So I still use Uber, but they have issues. They're they're so busy being racist. They can't uh, get the (laughs) GPS going. So what was so exciting is the... The, 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 the people are, I mean, we're just like straight up shutting shit down. And when you get corporations to start to listen, that's when you know you're going to win, in my opinion. Every year, so like we're recording this like the week of the Super Bowl, right? Uh-huh. Every year, the day after the Super Bowl, my episode of Citizen Radio is like, hey, remember this sexist commercial? And like, oh, GoDaddy had like a bunch of like uh, girls in bikinis riding like endangered species. Like they're always just like the most toxic, horrible. The commercials last night, I felt like I was like inside the brain of Amy Goodman. It was like the most (laughs) progressive. Suddenly you have like Audi talking about like women's rights and like some lumber company I never heard of, like making me cry with like an immigration wall ban and like Coca-Cola and Budweiser. I'm like, oh, am I going to have to start supporting these like gross corporations? And the reason is because the tide is changing. And what's so exciting about what's happening right now is when Barack Obama won, he had such a huge grassroots um, following and people who were ready to like march into battle with that dude. And then the Democratic establishment was kind of like, all right, we got it from here. You know, Rahm Emanuel like uh, became chief of staff and like progressives were kind of like, all right, I guess we'll just like sit around and see what Obama does. Occasionally would get mad at Obama. Occasionally that posed like a cute family picture with like Joe Biden and Bo <laughs> and would be very happy. And that's kind of like we just kind of let it 
happen. And this time what's happening is after everyone was so upset, after the women's march, we learned from our mistakes and we said, oh, we have to do this every day because it's working. Yes, and exactly. That's what's happening. You know, and, and one of the things I said this weekend at Sister Giant is that I don't think we've done a sufficient victory lap for the Women's March. You know, it happened. We all said, yay. We all posted our pictures. We were very proud. And then we immediately moved on to the next thing. But it was truly historic and it was truly life-changing, for, not only for all of the people who were there at the Women's March, and special shout out to our male and non-binary allies who were there with us. We love you. It was truly life-changing for all of us, but for people who watched it and that, who have then been inspired immediately the next weekend, oh, there's a Muslim ban. Oh, there's a refugee ban. Hell no. We're going to the airports all over the country right now because yeah. the Women's March showed us what we can do. And I also want to say, very importantly, obviously the Women's March didn't start nonviolent protests in the U.S. And big shout out to Black Lives Matter and the labor movement and you know the Native Americans who are protesting the Dakota Pipeline and many, many, many others. The LGBT movement. Okay, we get it. We didn't start it. But I do think we have been a catalyst in the age of Trump for saying we are going to get out there immediately and have an immediate quick response. And look what we've done. So House Republicans abandoned a plan to gut the Congressional Ethics Office right away because of protests. The Trump administration abandoned a plan to cancel the Affordable Care Act enrollment advertising. The VA was granted an exemption from Trump's hiring freeze. Half a million green card holders were granted an exemption from the immigration ban, you know, on and on and on. And now, of course, the courts are stopping Trump and their courts are stopping Trump because the ACLU has been flooded with donations, $24 million from people just last weekend. And state's yeah. attorney generals, I believe, are fired up because of all the protests. So you know, I, this is the context in which all of this is happening. State attorney generals know that we are going to be supporting them. We are cheering for them. You know, listen, you could say that judges and lawyers, you know, we just follow the law and we don't look at popular opinion, but that's ridiculous. I've been doing these cases long enough to know that public opinion makes a big, big difference. And so we are getting remarkable victories just in the first two weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, Moby and I did this uh, show for the ACLU, this like Judd Apatow show, and he Mm. played guitar and I I did my ranting thing and Moby donated like $10,000 on stage during our set to the ACLU. And it it was so wonderful. And I remember saying to the audience that where I was like, because there were people from the ACLU there. And I was like, man, these next four years, I want the ACLU being treated like vets. I want like (laughs) Ah. people giving up their like first class, like they should get priority boarding on flights. They should like, like everything. Thing. They should just be a hundred percent treated like like take. I, I want to take my hat off whenever like one comes into the room and be like, "Thank you for your service." Like that is how I feel right now with the ACLU. They're they're being such heroes. And yeah, I I think everything you said is true. I think that especially you have to appreciate the little victories. I know there are progressives that every time somebody does something good, they're like, yeah, but did you know, like in the eighties, he voted this way. And I'm like, look, if we don't take our victories and we don't take our victory laps, like you said, um, we're just going to get like suffocated with sadness during the That's Trump right. administration. Well, and it's and- both. Isn't it both? I mean, the house Republican plan for the massive sell-off of public lands was canceled. Trump's plan to go see Harley Davidson was canceled because they didn't want to deal with the protests. Disney's CEO canceled a planned trip to the White House. I mean, everybody is really uh, sensitive to public opinion right now. And, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, Jamie, this is something I've yeah. heard at the conference over and over again. A lot of people say, 
you know, the majority of Americans are good and decent people. The majority of Americans are not racist, are not misogynist. You know, and I'm I'm of two minds about that. And that's because I've done a lot of research and I wrote a book about implicit racial bias. And it's both possible to say, I am not a racist and actually have implicit biases that you are not aware of. And in fact, 80% of white people, that's the case. We test for moderate or severe racial bias. And the same thing for gender bias. And even women have implicit gender biases. Even feminist women, feminist attorneys like myself, you know, they do these very clever cheat proof tests. And so what, what is your thought when people say, you know, the majority of Americans are good and decent people. We're not racist. We're not misogynist. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to do like the the this is like the best microcosm for a white guy. I'm going to say something that probably a black woman said and crib it without credit cuz I don't know who said this. <laughs> but the best way I've heard it put is like it is possible to be um all of us. And what we have to accept and the reason we see like uh even liberal white people get so uh they, they, they just project and they get so defensive, which is I, even though I don't think I'm racist, even though like, uh, you know, I'm rooting for Beyonce to win at the Grammys next week, even though whatever, I have black friends, I still benefit from white supremacy and I still benefit from patriarchy. And that shit is so deep seated when you are raised that way that even when you're like, well, I'm like a feminist cause I'm you know, pro-choice, but then, you know, some woman, uh, you read a story about like a woman getting raped and you're like, well, why was she out at night? That's your first reaction. It's like, okay, that shit is deep seated. Mm -hmm. Um, it it, it is deep seated from all of our movies, from the way we talk about women, from the fact that we elect, uh, you know, someone who has been accused of rape multiple times over, uh, over a woman. Uh Um, what I think to, to, so that's kind of like a, a little tangent, but to answer your question, I would love to believe that, I mean, you you see it, right? You see like the Trump rallies compared to us and we're shutting down airports. And when we see that, it is very tempting to be like, okay, we're winning. We have the numbers. And look, Hillary did win the popular vote, right? And you put that with all the independents and, you know, Jill Stein voters and blah, 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 blah. It's like we do. The majority of people like I believe feel the way we feel the biggest I put the blame on the media and I don't see this getting talked about enough. And this isn't because like I have an independent like news show or whatever. Like I blame it on the media because I, here's what I do think. I think the majority of people are fucking busy. And I think the majority of people are just trying to make ends meet and are struggling and put their family before anybody. And I totally get that. Right. But when we talk so, about, for example, you know, 53% of white women voted for Trump. And I see a lot of white women at these uh, events that I go to saying, you know, we are the problem. And a lot of women of color saying, you know, how could you have done this, right? And, yeah. and, and part of me feels like, you know, why am I responsible for my entire group? Isn't that the kind of thinking we're trying to get away from? We don't hold, you know, Muslims responsible for terrorism, for example, uh, right. just, just the terrorists. But on the other hand, we white people do have work to do. 
And within our own groups, I mean, I think that's what you're saying. And when I think about the 53% of white women who voted for Trump, who had to turn away from his disgusting misogyny, who had to say, yeah, I know about that, but I don't believe it. I don't care about it. It's not important to me. I think a lot of that is the internalized misogyny that, you know, it's not, our lives are not important. Our experiences are not important. This man who's such a vicious misogynist, it's just not important. And I want to empower women to say, you know what? It is important. It should be a voting issue for you. Yeah. And I also think it's like what a lot of women are used to, right? Like you saw people after the election with the, like when Trump was bragging about assaulting women where he's like, yeah, that's how my husband talks and his friends talk or my son talks and stuff like that. And it's like, again, that is because like we have normalized it because we do live in this patriarchy where like rape culture is prevalent. Um, and it's rape culture is just in the way we talk, um, in, in the way we treat women. And I do think that as white women and especially white men, we do kind of have that like added responsibility when you do have privilege to amplify the voices of marginalized people. I mean, what I did see black women say, and I totally agree with this where, because also like I, I, I still see white liberals like blaming uh, black women for like being divisive and stuff like that. And that's when I understand black women being like, yo, everyone who showed up at that March on Washington, I hope I see you at the next fucking black lives matter rally. And like you, and like, you've been so good about that. But I do think that like, for some reason, like I saw white liberals, women, and especially men like going after black lives matter and being like, is this the time to be divisive? It's like, yo, their kids are being gunned down to the street. Yeah, and like, I don't think I don't think it's divisive. It's it's you know we talk about no. intersectionality, and I'd kind of like a better word because that word sounds a little academic to me. But it, you know, it, let's talk about everybody's. How issues. about let's don't be an ass? Yeah. and and be there for people when it's not your group. I think there's a special place in heaven for men who show up for a women's march, for you know people who show up for events that it is not their group, whether it's an LGBT issue or a racial issue, what have you. And I think, you know, I, I really encourage everybody to do that. The flip side, though, is so while we, ha- we do have rape culture, there's no question about that. We also had last week uh, the, this report that Donald Trump had said that women staffers have to, quote, dress like a woman. And then oh social media was just flooded with this wonderful hashtag, dress like a woman, where there's women astronauts and women athletes and women firefighters. And I posted a picture of myself. I happened to be wearing uh, my Ruth Bader Ginsburg t-shirt that day. So I was dressed like a woman. I was dressed kind of as a woman, <laughs> as yeah. one of my favorite women. <laughs> and by the way, let's send her kale. Let's send her green juice. Let's give her oh daily God. massages, whatever it takes. I, I'm, I'm like a big, I'm like a, a vegan and a health person. And yes. I'm like, yeah, kale, blah, blah, blah. But I'm also like, yo, if we need to pump her full of steroids at this point, <laughs> like if something happens to her, like I want them to like weekend at Bernie's her like onto the fucking court. Like just I, I at oh, this point, like, yeah, a hundred percent. God forbid. Well, Jamie Kilstein, you are so fabulous. I love talking to you. Thank you for the work that you've been doing for a long, long time and for keeping us laughing. Where can people find you and connect with you and listen to you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter and all that stuff under Jamie Kilstein. Citizen Radio is uh, wearecitizenradio.com. It's a free podcast five days a week. Um, Yeah, we've had like Amy Goodman and Noam Chomsky on, but we've also had like Sarah Silverman and Talib Kweli. It's just like a very weird, cool show. And I also I just started 
uh, a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein, where I'm posting like new political rants. Uh, I just did a behind the scenes thing of the show I did with Moby on inauguration night. But what's the most exciting about the Patreon is I kind of labeled it like a place to hide from your Republican relatives <laughs> is we're we're building a community. Like I just did my first group chat with uh, all of like our fans who signed up so far. And it was incredible. People were like giving each other advice on where to find like vegan places and, uh, you know, Iowa and like how to start like an LGBT like ally group. And we were recommending music to each other and venting about our conservative relatives. And wow. like, I was, and I was just like, Oh, like this is what, and that's kind of what citizen radio is. But with the Patreon, it's like to actually talk to these people and like see them live. It just made me so like riled up and like excited again. So that's just patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein. Um, pretty much anything slash Jamie Kilstein is where I, <laughs> is where I am. But don't actually slash Jamie Kilstein because we, Please love, don't. we love you. Jamie, you have so much energy. Oh, and you're vegan. What a coincidence. Not. Uh, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Have a Thank great you day. so much, Keep Lisa. Great work. Bye you bye. too. Bye. I love getting your calls. Here's one that particularly struck me. Hi, Lisa. My neighbors around me have Trump signs in their yards. How can I find and meet people in my neighborhood? who think like we do. Thank you. It strikes me there's two parts to this question. One, how do I find like-minded people? Well, that's the easy part. I suggest you go to local protests. They're happening all over the country. Uh, just find the one that's nearest you and get out there. You're going to love it. Join a grassroots campaign. Get together with people that you already know who are supportive and who are on your side and grow the group. If you don't know anyone, put up a sign in your yard about things that you care about or put a bumper sticker on your car or wear a little button that says resist or put on your pink pussy hat and wear it around town. You know, when I wear mine every now and then just because I like it, uh, a lot of people come up to me. When you meet people in general, just talk about your views in a soft way, and you'll find out who is like-minded. I don't think that part is so difficult. But also, here's the more difficult question that I think arises out of this call. How do I deal with my Trump-supporting neighbors? And we all have to do that, right? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, you have little morally persuasive power with those who sense your underlying contempt. And I've tried to remember that every time I talk to someone who has a different perspective on life or on the world or in politics than I do. Start from a place of common ground. We are all fed up with politicians who ignore us, for example. We all know the media could stand to be improved. None of us likes economic stagnation, the lack of jobs, all the money going to the billionaires, high health insurance premiums, Find common ground with your Trump-loving neighbors, and everyone's going to get a little bit more relaxed. Then I would suggest you say something like, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I see that you are from the signs in your yard. Can you help me see why? I just hate that our country's so polarized. And then sit back and listen. A book that made a huge impression on my life is the book Nonviolent Communication. And in that book, it teaches us how to have difficult conversations with people we don't agree with. 
One of the principles is to let the other person talk and then to repeat back in your own words what you hear them saying. The key phrase is, what I hear you saying is, in fact, my husband and I joke that when we're having an argument, we start saying, what I hear you saying is, and we just have to smile because we know the other one's really trying when we do that. So what I hear you saying is, you know, you're frustrated, you're angry, you want change, you wanted to shake up Washington, and boy, have you done that. After you repeat back your friend's perspective, ask them, do I have that right? Is there anything else you want to say? Let them continue with their point of view and their politics. Repeat it back again. Ask them if you have it right. When someone is listened to that carefully, uh, it generally makes them feel very relaxed and bonded with the person they're talking to. Once they're talked out, say, can I share my perspective? And if they say yes, then you say, you know, in my experience or in my life, something I'm concerned about is... No one can argue with your experience. So start there and let them know how you feel coming out of your experience. Make your points rationally, calmly, and just once. You don't need to keep repeating and pounding your perspective in. When you see that the conversation has run its course or maybe is starting to get a little stressful, move on to other topics, safer topics, the weather, food, kids, pets, right? Everybody loves dogs and let it go, let it sit. Maybe the next time you can come back around to this topic. You don't have to do it all in one sitting. I heard Ingrid Newkirk, who runs PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, one time say that people have to hear things five times before they sink in. So you may feel that you didn't make any impression, but perhaps somebody else will, or somebody number three, or somebody number four, or somebody number five. You just don't know, but you have to make the effort. I think the only way we can get change in this country is if we do talk to our neighbors in a compassionate, respectful way. So listener, I salute you for wanting to talk to your own kind and to get together with people like you. We all need that. You know, the most exhilarating part of the three marches I've been on since Trump became president is the energy of people who stand for love and openness, people who are like me. It's just wonderful to be in that environment. But we also have to reach out to our red state neighbors, too, to our neighbors who do support Trump. I salute you for it. And that, friends, is my top resistance tip for this week. Change a heart, change a mind. We can do this one citizen at a time. This is Lisa Bloom, voice of the resistance. Please subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends, and follow me on Twitter or Facebook. This podcast is brought to you by The Bloom Firm, where together with my team of eight other lawyers, we fight for justice for our clients every day, whether in a business dispute, family law case, or discrimination and harassment case. Every one of my lawyers, like me, has a passion for justice. The bar requires me to say that this is an attorney solicitation, and yes, we would love for you to contact us at thebloomfirm.com. Friends, in coming weeks, I will take your questions. Call me at 818-835-0382 and leave me a short message with your question, and it might get answered next week. That's all for now. This is Lisa Bloom for The Resistance.